training, mindset, integrity, incremental improvement. What can you do better today? Start right here with the Pendola Project. Hey, welcome to the Pendola Project. I'm Matt Pendola. Oh, yeah, and I'm Jake Parker. This is episode 33. We're here today talking about principles of good coaching. Yeah, Jake, but let's just clearly define what is a coach. We can be a mentor. We can be a teacher. We can be a parent in this situation, or even we want to be these things. And so let's not forget that this applies to all of us. Even if you're not in a leadership role today, it's something that you might be in soon and you want to be able to work towards these principles and it's never too late to start. So Jake, today we ended up talking a lot about driven benevolence and what type of principles do we want to use? What have the world's best used to get the best out of themselves and others? So I just decided to do a little bit of reading and research on these principles. This is actually something that I talked about with Bobby McGee, and he was telling me about serial winning coaching principles and gave me some links and websites to look up. And so I took it from there. I also looked at coaching didactics, which was really interesting. It was more about teaching. And I used a lot of those concepts with the teaching didactics for how we could better serve our athletes, but it's really all one in the same. So again, no matter what your goals are, I think we can all listen in. And you'll hear these principles that can help you improve your life, no matter what kind of a role you are in. Maybe you just want to lead your own life. You're going to learn something from this one. Episode 33, Coaching Principles. And we're back. Hello, Matt Pendola. How was your weekend, man? Are you getting back into the uh, post-race season? Are you getting into the flow of things? Are you feeling all right? I'm feeling good. It's nice not to have a set schedule when it comes to the running. I've already started to just get my lift on a little bit. Good, man. And take a break from what you were doing. Switch things up. Yeah. And when it comes to the lifting, it's not, I'm not killing myself. It just is fun to pick up some, some weights and just doing something completely random. So I don't write anything up right now. So the next few weeks is just... If I feel like doing something, I will. The only kind of hard, fast rule I have is that I'm not going to run. Okay. But I yeah, picked up some dumbbells and did uh, did some things. You What's know. your bench, bro? Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> especially it's humbling already because what I did pick up, it's, again, more triphasic, kind of going slow, controlled, and working through more accessory kind of movements. Triphasic being down, hold, up. Yeah, it's uh, so triphasic, guys. It's it refers to eccentric, concentric, isometric. Those three phases in the lift, and that's what I did, but all slowly, right? Just slowly. So usually, when I say triphasic, I'm referring to a slower tempo. And so, yeah, I did that until I felt like I didn't want to do anymore. I think I've done three strength workouts. I don't think any one of them was more than a half an hour. So nice. Yeah. It's just what I feel like doing right now, but it is kind of nice. Just, uh, you know, no running. 
I'm feeling hungry like all the time. Oh yeah, I believe it. As soon as you start lifting those weights again, man, something just starts burning in your gut and you're hungry again. Yeah. Plus because I had trained for the half marathon and the marathon, certainly I was a little bit leaner and now I'm just enjoying gaining some weight back, I guess you would say. Sure, bro. Yeah. Because look, I didn't, I don't have a specific number I have to get to. It's more about how I feel right? and how I'm performing. That's the most important thing to me. If I'm performing well, I feel like I'm confident in what I'm doing with my running and my pacing, then great. Whatever weight I am there, fantastic. And especially I don't want to starve myself or anything like that. So it's all about athletes eat and train. They don't diet and exercise. But that being said, it, I got lean. So it feels good to uh, start to put some a little bit of weight back on and not have to worry about getting out on that long run, not have to worry about how I'm going to fit in a specific quality session on a specific day because the timing can matter when you're putting a plan together for a specific day, a specific yeah, race. Yeah, you've got a little more freedom now. You can have some more fun with it and just kind of see what works. Yeah. I mean, in fact, the other day I had planned on doing something and eh, you know what? Just, nope, not going to do anything today. Good for no you. No big deal. Right? Hey, if you earn it, then I, I don't see any problem with that. But yeah, this morning I ate pretty much everything in my fridge. Just, my, <laughs> <laughs> I really did. My wife, my I got I get up pretty early some mornings to work. And so I'd already been up and I ate all the soup and I ate the, a block of cheese, like an entire oh, block, block of cheese. Of cheese. <laughs> an and you mean like first thing in the morning? Yeah. Like this was, uh, she, I think I got up at 4.30. Wife's not even awake yet. Right. And so, and, but she, she got up around uh, six, I think. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I'd already eaten <laughs> all the soup that was left in the fridge, a block of cheese. I, I think also there was like some kind of like blueberry sort of, I don't know, maybe it was a pie or something. Ooh, nice. Which my my daughter, by the way, she outed me last night. We were at uh, CMA, Conviction Martial Arts. So it's where she takes her martial arts lessons. Right. And, so uh, there was a parent that I knew and we were catching up a little bit and she just walks up to us and says, he ate all of the pie. <laughs> Your cover's blown, Pendola. <laughs> yeah. And it, look, I don't eat that much sugar normally. I, it's, I don't have much of a sweet tooth. And I think that that's what the conversation was struck up about that, about the holidays and eating sweets and things like that. Yeah. And if you don't know Matt, you have to understand like how out of the norm that is for him. I remember the first time I saw you eat a brownie, I was like, what? <laughs> Whoa, what are you doing? Are you going to be okay? <laughs> but that's what, yeah, again, I, I believe in being transparent, like we keep talking about. And if, if I'm hungry, and especially because I need to start to get some additional calories back in me, and I want to be very clear about this, but when I had a bit more of a caloric deficit, it's not that I was ever dieting, but going off of my performances and going off of how I felt, I would, for instance, 
maybe not even feel like eating as much sometimes because when I got done with a long day, which also might have included a long run, you'd be surprised, but you don't always feel like eating as much on those days. Mm. And uh, then there's other days where you feel hungry and you eat more. And I just always kind of go off of that and let my body decide what it's going to tune up to based off of what I'm giving it, uh, both through nutrition and through training. So this is something that now my body's saying, hey, we're done racing and uh, I want to get some, a little bit of weight back on and sure. lift some weights and maybe put a little more muscle back on. And that's now a new challenge, a new goal. And I think I'm going to probably do Spartan next. So I'm not going to put any plan together for Spartan until 2020, mm-hmm. January. Right, that's is, a couple weeks. Right. It just happens to be that this is kind of my break after the December race training finished. And now I'm just going to take the rest of December off. It's not that I'm waiting for the new year, but it just kind of happens to be that way. Yeah, that's a different topic for sure. But hey, if that fits into your schedule, enjoy that freedom. And uh, hopefully you've learned something and find a new plan and a new direction to go towards. And I think that ties in what we're talking about here, Matt. We're talking today about good coaching principles. And I think a lot of coaches now would say, okay, you just ran your last race. Time to hit the uh, preseason. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I'm glad you brought this up, Jake, because I myself do deal with this with some of my athletes. It's because I don't necessarily coach those athletes in their seasons, especially not when they're in high school. Mm -hmm. So they have other coaches and I'm their strength coach. I might even be their conditioning coach in the preseason, but I don't like it when my athletes have no downtime. And sometimes I don't have a choice in that because they're just finishing up their cross country season, but their lacrosse coach is telling them, okay, well, we're starting practice and you can't miss another week. So you're starting today. Right. And I've, I've literally had athletes finish their last race at regionals for cross country and go right to lacrosse practice that is mandatory that day because the season already started, okay? And we still have state the next week. Right, and the lacrosse coach, you know, he's thinking, well, we've got a competition coming up soon, so we better get going. Yeah, so, you know, coaches need to communicate together. And when you have an athlete in cross country, for example, clearly they've got a lot of conditioning, So they probably just need to work on a little bit of skill set and maybe that's something they can do without doing all the additional conditioning the rest of the team is doing. But oftentimes that's not the case. The athlete is just doing all of it. Yeah. And if the coaches aren't communicating, it's just going to be even worse. And so look, I'm just calling coaches out. If you are a coach or you're no coach or your kids are being coached by this kind of mindset, it needs to change. Yeah. Yeah, communication is essential, and the whole my way or the highway thing when you're doing multi-sports especially, that's it's not really going to cut it, and it's not going to be good for the athlete in the long run. No, and look, we have more and more specialization in sports than ever, and that's a big issue as well. I was just talking to a father earlier today, and his son is really, really good, mm-hmm. and he's young. He doesn't specialize yet 
but his coach kind of jokingly was saying, hey, you know, he should specialize because he could be next level, right? And I just love the father's approach to this where it's it's all about keeping it fresh, keeping it fun. Good. And uh, there's going to be time for that specialization later. And he was saying to me, the dad, he was saying, hey, you know, I don't know if I'm making the right call here, but I just don't think that this is something we should be taking this seriously this early. If Maybe we'll miss the boat. Maybe we'll be too late because that's kind of what we're told. Yeah, and props to that father because I know that's what parents are being told now and it's so compelling competitive now and you've got to start them when they're they learned to walk yesterday they're going to pick up a football and throw it tomorrow yeah because the whole range that we've talked about which tiger woods is an example of somebody who started super young and had this huge success but this is not typical and most great athletes they start their main sport late in life they've done multiple sports leading up to that so yeah let's talk about oh by the way jake i saw a great documentary on the art of coaching on hbo and that's uh belichick and saban have you heard of that i i just heard of it i haven't gotten a chance to watch it yet though was it any good it was really good i nice. liked it and i'm not a football guy i mean yeah, I'm really not either. Yeah. But I'm sure that the universal principles of coaching can be relatable. Yeah, exactly. They had some really good points in there. I took notes, you know, me. I'm watching this documentary and taking notes because I'm trying to learn from the best. And it doesn't matter to me that they're football coaches or it could be a music teacher. If they're the best, there's things that we can learn. So a couple of things that I wrote about, but you know, what is your core belief as a coach and whether or not as a coach, you're going to be able to achieve this level of success with your team or your athletes, I think has to start with, have you clearly defined the goals and the objectives and the expectations you have as a coach to that athlete? God, life lesson right there too, man. It's, it is amazing that uh, both of these coaches who they worked together at one point in their career for about four years and developed a lot of these principles together, but it's amazing how so many coaches have tried to follow in their footsteps, but haven't been able to replicate what they've done. And um, a very famous part of their coaching principles is do your job. Okay. So they talk about in the documentary and other coaches have not been able to replicate that philosophy. And it's a great philosophy and do your job. I love ones that are simple like that too. Exactly. But why can't you follow it as another coach or trying to get other athletes to do their jobs? Because there's a lot of steps and principles that need to be followed so the athlete can clearly understand what that goal is, what that objective is, and also realize that they're capable of accomplishing these things. Which is a part of the coach's job. And I wonder if many coaches out there have asked themselves that question, what is my job? Yeah. What is your job? And is it a job, first of all, right? Hmm. Or why are you doing this in the first place? So again, I'm just going to call it out. I think that some coaches are in it for the wrong reasons. Yeah, I've seen it. I didn't play like high school sports, collegiate sports, none of it, but I've seen it and I've had friends who have gone through it. I've lifted weights with these people and some of the coaches' mentalities were kind of toxic and the level that they were driving their athletes to seemed kind of self-serving to the coaches. Absolutely. When I was in high school, it was assumed 
that I had the best coach possible because he was national coach of the year. Okay. And look, I'm not going to get into this man's legacy. There was some good and there was some not so good parts okay. for, for me personally. But I know that going into this team as a freshman, I was bred, groomed, trained to score points. Right. And so there were meets where my knee hurt or where I was really tired or I'd been sick, didn't even make it to school most of that week. And I'm just coming back, but I'm running in three races. Right. Because the objective is so important to a specific coach. And how many of us now as parents see our kids going off to practice, knowing that they are part of a quote-unquote winning team for the wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. And sometimes those coaches have these standards because maybe someone's looking at their performance as a coach and their job depends on them winning. Winning is the most important thing, Jake. Not to me. Yeah, it is. Not to me, man. Oh, why not? I, I've never had that mentality. I don't know if it's because I wasn't that good at sports. Maybe I just had to make an excuse like, oh, I'm just not that competitive. What's it? Ricky Bobby? Did you ever see the legend oh, of Ricky Bobby? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if you're not first, you're, you're last. last. Yeah, and I never liked that, but uh, I think the point is made there. Yeah, if you're not first, you're last. And I'm sure that there's a lot of coaches, Matt, that even still have that mentality. Yeah, I know that I personally worked with some coaches who do. I almost got into a freaking fist fight with a coach, Jake, a couple years ago. What, some guy just being too meatheady? I'm not even exaggerating. We literally went face to face and he physically threatened one of my athletes. I'm one the of the one, kids. Yes. Ooh. I'm I'm the one who got pulled off the field, so to speak. I got called into the principal's office. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it was it first was time really, in 20 years. Uh, it was this whole story. I, I tell you what, I'm not the perfect person. I've made mistakes myself, but to intimidate another athlete because he didn't do what you wanted him to do. That is just wrong. Not even another athlete, a student athlete. Yeah, he physically intimidated this kid. And that's when I stepped in. And whatever, I'm not anything special there. It was just what anybody would do that saw what was going on. It was so ridiculous. And so we just got into it, this whole conversation. And I just realized, wow, you're just trying to get that banner. You just want that next accolade, that next, I mean, it's going to be on your resume, right? Yeah. Is that, is that what's so important to you, man, that you're going to get in the face of, uh, what was this, a high school meet? <laughs> high school meet. Not that those aren't important. They're very important to the athletes. Yeah, not, not, not to you. Right. It's not about us. It's about what that athlete is learning and achieving and growing and responding to and how they're doing it together, how they're being a team, those kind of things. That particular athlete I'm talking about, by the way, he had made a lot of progress and I just could not believe that the coach was putting him down. He worked so hard to get to where he was and just because it wasn't the way that coach wanted it done doesn't mean that it wasn't good. And so again, the egos sometimes get so big that you just think everything has to be done exactly the way you say it. 
I mean, I could go on and on about this. I mean, just just absolutely unreal. I had no idea I was going to be even in that kind of a conversation that day. But I just happened to be standing there when it went down, and I just could not believe my ears. Yeah, it's like those people who are more concerned with their dinner party conversation. You know, the one time a year you see that friend, and he's going to ask you, so how is the season? Right, and you want to be able to say, "Oh, my kids PR. We we scored all these points, and they're all going on to college, and they're going to be all stars or whatever." You'd want those accolades for your own ego, not for your kid's success. Yeah, and it's okay to be driven. I think it's it's not it's more than okay. It's great if you're gonna teach or coach athletes to be driven. You're helping them become successful. But I think that there's a phrase I heard recently, and it says that the sun will rise again. You have to have a thick skin and an elastic heart. Ooh, all right. right let's go into that. I like that one. So as a coach. I can tell you that thick skin is definitely a part of the process. You do everything you can. You stay up late writing a progression plan that you believe will help your team. And maybe that doesn't work out exactly the way that you hoped it would. And then what you get in return might be criticism that you don't know what you're doing, or let's say that this worked really well for some of your athletes and that one athlete, or maybe there's a couple athletes that didn't work so well for, yeah, sure. You can learn from that and you can understand that this can get better so it can serve more athletes, but we're only human. Right. But sometimes you're going to get it. You're going to get it from other parents or other coaches who want to prove they're better than you or even athletes now suffer because they start to question what's going on. If maybe you don't know what you're talking about, geez, I did believe in my coach and now I'm not so sure because these parents over here are saying he doesn't know what he's talking about because there was one runner who didn't hit their PR that day. And that right. one runner happened to have a dad who thinks he knows more than you do because, you know, he's the man he's living vicariously through his son. And, you know, he ran in high school too, and he ran under four minutes for the mile, right? They all, they all did. They all remember that they did. And like, guess what? You didn't. So, you know, anyways, this is all part of the coaching process that you can clearly hear I've been through. And we want to talk a little bit more though about, well, what do we want to do as coaches, as parents, as teachers? This is lessons for everybody. We want to have the best version of ourselves, of our kids. We want to be mentors. We want to have culture around us that instills the proper values for life lessons. And that's really what sports are about. And that's really what training and achievement is for, right, Jake? Yeah. And I love how you had that story because to me, I was just thinking the whole time, like, man, this guy's got a sensitive ego. And I'll speak from my experience because I've been there too. That fragile ego is the first thing that has to go. And related to coaching, that means that it has to be about the athlete. It's not about your resume as a coach. Sure, if you have some athletes that don't succeed, yeah, you're probably going to take some heat for that, but that's not what it's supposed to be about. It's supposed to be about the athlete. Sure. So if it doesn't benefit the athlete, it shouldn't happen. That's one of the standards that I try to follow. And if you have a high moral stance, and you have very robust standards, Jake, 
then I do believe that your athletes, not only are they learning from that, and yes, of course, they're going to respect that about you. They are going to trust the process more. And in turn, that serves as a good safety net for them. That's what creates the kind of culture that they can be sure of. Yeah, there's going to be a lot more rapport between everybody under a system like that. Again, it seems like I'm just going to be controversial today, but this is one of these subjects where I'm not going to I'm not going to pretend that I'm loved by all coaches. I know that I, either most coaches out there that know me, we're either very good friends and we have a high level of respect for each other and we even work with each other with our athletes for our athletes and we have great relationships or you know, they tend to just hate you. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's such a strong word, but as close to that as it gets, probably for some for some of them. And, you know, that's too, it's too bad. I don't lose any sleep over coaches like that. But why? Why do we have this friction or butting of the heads? And, you know, to me, for example, I don't think that everybody walks the walk. And I do have a problem with that. If you're going to ask something of your athletes, if you're a parent, even say, I'm, I'm going to eat this way, but you shouldn't. Because this is bad, even though I do it. Right. You know, I'm going to smoke, but you shouldn't. Right. Sorry if I'm upsetting people out there that smoke, and, but you've got to realize this is part of what we do to serve our athletes. We need to make sacrifices too. And I do believe in that. I do believe that those sacrifices are not only necessary, but if you're signing up for the job of being a mentor, of being a coach, of being a teacher, you need to be responsible for your actions and you need to own up to that. So Jake, it is important that we practice what we preach and there are sacrifices, but this is where I feel like most athletes are really looking for that guidance and that mentorship. And it does matter. It is important. I can't stand it when you have a coach that just pushes his ideas onto everybody, but isn't willing to actually live that life himself or herself. And so I have a real problem with coaches who text and drive who drink oh, and drive. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I mean, and I know coaches who they got caught for doing the very things that they tell their athletes they shouldn't be doing. You know, what kind of coach is that? Well, we have a word for that, Matt. That's a hypocrite. Yeah. So just, I don't care if you're any sort of mentor or coach or teacher or friend even, that you are just who you say you are. That's it. Just be who you say you are. And- that's all you have to do. That's all you have to be. From there, none of us are perfect. We're going to make mistakes. And I accept all of that. And I appreciate anybody who's putting their time in, who's giving up and sacrificing so that they can serve others in any way. That's something that I really respect about people, about other coaches. So even though I've been kind of trash talking a little bit here, I do have so much respect for any coach that gives up their weekends, for example, so that they can be at these games. But as long as it's for the right reasons and it's not about a banner or it's not about a title. Yeah, and when you have that open communication with your athletes, that establishes such a better relationship. That communication is so important to help the athletes grow 
grow so that they can understand that you're a human too and maybe you make these mistakes but it's something you can work with together whatever it may be as long as there's that open communication that's a really important lesson i think especially with younger athletes yeah and with serial winning coaches i think people would be surprised to hear now these serial winning coaches are coaches that have had the highest level of success with multiple athletes over years and years in their career. And it really was about the process. This is what we talk about all the time on this podcast, but they were not focused on that title or that medal. They were not focused on a certain salary. Those kind of things were not the main focus. They were focusing on their athletes first, people first, and they were ruthless, but they weren't heartless. This is what created the right culture. And that happy athlete created high performances. That athlete felt like they were served and they were supported and they could grow. And that's what enabled them to really focus on their best process to success. So no one cares how much you know, Jake, until they know how much you care. Especially when it has to be individualized. You have to talk to each athlete as their own individual person. And Matt, you've talked about in other podcasts about two successful runners can have two totally different body types. That one cookie cutter style of coaching isn't going to work for each individual athlete. That's right. So when we talk about body types, I mean, there's there's more categories, but you can break it down into a high octane athlete or a diesel athlete, for example. So those two athletes can be in the same distances in the same races, but they're not necessarily going to respond to the same programming because they do have different bodies and they, they're different. And right? guess what? If something's not working, it's not their fault. Exactly. And I made that mistake before about thinking, ah, this, I, because I was more of a sort of a durable athlete and I, I put in a lot too much and put in too much for a long time, but I was so used to that. I thought that any athletes that, that weren't doing as much as me, or they weren't willing to do as much, then they just were weak or they weren't dedicated. They weren't, you know, and this is not the way that everybody is going to respond. So a great coach, Jack Daniels, talks about how when you throw 12 eggs against the wall, a lot of coaches just tend to focus on the two or three that didn't break. Mm -hmm. But what good coaches do is they're trying to focus on the dozen eggs. Maybe you do have a couple that break and you've done your best, but it can still happen. But maybe you do have a couple eggs that still break. But I think that the difference is, are you doing your best to learn from that as a coach to serve all of the athletes, especially the athletes that are willing to do the work and really want to be there? And at the same time, understanding that when we want to be understood, we first have to seek to understand. And that process gives our athletes a lot more stock in what they're doing in faith. And you might not have so many broken eggs when you also address that mindset, that mental piece of the puzzle that allows the athlete to feel supported and driven 
and understood. Right, man. So we've talked a lot about what you don't want in a coach, but there are great coaches out there and we can learn from them. So Matt, what are some things that some coaches can implement and what are some things that student athletes and their parents want to look for? Yeah, I think a good coach, they really focus a lot more on the process first, Jake. And that's very evident because they're not likely to push somebody to do more than they feel ready for. But at the same time, they're getting them to maybe just stretch a little bit further than they've done before. So they're constantly sort of encouraging that growth and encouraging that athlete to reach, maybe even stretch a little bit, but not overreach to the point where they're broken. And I think that good coaches also ensure that there is an understanding about what the training is. Okay, so I'm talking a lot about what I see with coaches sometimes or what I hear from my athletes. But how many times have we talked about plans and what those plans are for? How many coaches are actually explaining what the program is for? What is the training progression for? And if they can't explain that, I don't think that's fair to the athlete to expect to just do it. The coach probably doesn't understand it either if they can't explain it. Or, you know, maybe they did come from a different time when they believe you just do what I tell you to do. But if you really want your athletes to buy in, they have to feel like they're a part of the process. I mean, really, you expect your athlete to go out there and give everything when they don't even understand what they've been doing and why. Plus, if they don't meet your goals for them, Sometimes the goals don't even align what you want of them and what they want of themselves. But if they fail to reach that high expectation, that's not emotionally healthy. No, and don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you don't crack the whip when you need to. Of course. right? You, you should still have strict standards. If you expect your athletes to follow these standards, though, make sure they understand what they're supposed to be doing and why. And I think that's only fair. If you want to have that kind of structure behind your program, it is going to take that explanation and that preparation. And so what I notice a lot of the great coaches, they are taking the time to really explain these things to their athletes. And oftentimes they're having these conversations with their athletes, say before they head to the locker rooms or before they're done with practice, or even when they are starting their season saying, Hey, these are the goals that we have set up for the season. What do you think? Or what are your goals? Yeah, what do you think? That's so important because you don't see that in the locker room speech at halftime in the movies. No, and of course, when I say these are the plans that we have for the season, that might be the plan that we've created off of last year's team or even with that athlete from the previous year. But now that we've gone through the preseason, do you still feel like we should be following this same plan? Or is there maybe something else now that you think that we should accumulate to or towards? So that's all stuff that I think good coaches do. And good coaches don't speak in absolutes either. Right. This works because it's always worked and it's always going to work. Yeah. And this is a great example with coaches that do speak in those kind of absolutes. We know that this didn't work all the time for everybody, 
but it kind of shows a reflection of their thinking, Jake, because they only paid attention to who it worked for. The rest of the athletes, I guess you just didn't have a good enough attitude. Maybe you just didn't care. Yeah, or you weren't made for it. You broke because you weren't made for this. They didn't take the time clearly to think about who they left behind when they had that attitude that this is just going to have to be the way it is. And we're also looking at coaches, Jake, that want to learn more, to understand more, to do more, maybe even things that they didn't do as an athlete or things that other coaches aren't doing yet, but they think might serve their athletes. So I'm thinking right now about Julie Hart. We had her on just a couple weeks ago. Yeah, that was a great one. Episode 29, I think we called that Sports Psychology with Julie Hart. One of my favorite episodes. She was a great guest. Yeah, you guys should listen to that one. When it comes to great coaching, she definitely has a good handle on things. And I loved how she talked about basically having a meditation or a practice with their breathing methods as swimmers, but she kind of put it in a fun way. Kids were able to do it without thinking it as meditation. So it's a classic example of how a coach is taking something, Jake, that is maybe considered to be a little foo-foo by some. A little weird. Right. Other mm-hmm. coaches might not understand it or other athletes, and but she's making it fun and in turn actually useful for the athletes because of the way that she brought it into the program and coached it. And so I think that when you talk about differentiating and integrating instruction, that this is always something that good coaches are going to work towards optimizing so that they have the best effect for their athletes and even making themselves vulnerable at times, again, so that the culture improves, so that the athletes improve. And you have to stick your own neck out there sometimes. You're not always going to look like you know everything. You're going to have to sometimes look like you don't know you're going to have to say i don't know right and a lot of people are afraid of that man absolutely and when i first started coaching i admit i thought i was supposed to have all the answers well some people would still think that you are i used to be more like that for sure i remember trying to come up with answers that i clearly did not kind of have a strong resolution to. And you probably looked like it in the moment too, like your eyes get all squinting. You're like thinking really hard because you don't have the answer, but you're trying to sound like you do when it's probably not going to come across well. And it's hard because sometimes we can feel as coaches like we're imposters. Like if we don't know the answer to this, I guess maybe we shouldn't be in charge of this. Right. So it's not always about having a ridiculous ego, but sometimes it's about saving faith or maybe you're afraid you're going to lose respect from your athletes. Or job security. Job security. You know, anything there. As a strength coach, I certainly worried about losing clients if I didn't have an answer. Right. Because they're looking to you for those things. But I think it's more powerful if you can humanize and let them know that, hey, I don't have an answer right now but I know what questions to ask to find one. The most successful coaches will admit that they don't always know, but they will find out. They'll at least try to find out the answer. Sometimes that means referring out. Sometimes that means that they have to call 
John Hodges, my physical therapist buddy who knows a little bit more about this subject you're asking me about. Or to come full circle with what we started talking about earlier in this episode, we were talking about those two football coaches, Bill Belichick and Nick Saban, and how they work together, they collaborate, and they probably rely on one another. Yeah, they're not afraid to admit that I am using his idea here and vice versa. And you don't lose respect from your athletes or from other people from that matter. I I can tell you in my own personal experience that people found me to be more valuable because I was willing to say, I don't know, but I will find out. Or if I can't find out, I will refer out. And this is so important that coaches understand you are only going to be more respected. You're going to have more faith in your programming. You're going to have more durability. So all of those constant revisions you have to make and that repetitive work that you're doing with athletes over years. I mean, imagine that you have an athlete that starts losing faith two years into a four-year process because you've started to tell them things that you're not 100% on because you didn't want to not know the answer. This is a problem long-term. This athlete's going to start to question more and then maybe lose some faith and not have the same kind of fortitude in their own training because they're starting to question if it's right. So when they can understand that you're doing the best you can to verify and understand them and in turn put together the best program possible with whomever that's going to be an athlete that is successful and does well. So this whole driven benevolence that we started talking about at the beginning with successful programs, it's the iceberg, that tip of that iceberg is what everybody's looking at. That's the result, but it's really that process that's under the water. That's the part that nobody sees, nobody sees. And that's where we have to get it right. And I do want to have all of my athletes find that level of success for themselves. And at least for me, I want to know that I didn't screw up my part of it. I can't give them their success. I can't do any of that for them. And I am very strict or even hold them to a very high standard. And I don't apologize for that. I also know that I hold myself to that same standard. So if I'm going to put in the time and the work and the effort, you better be too. Otherwise, I'm going to find an athlete who wants to do that, who is willing to do that. So once we have that establishment, once we understand each other, then let's not screw it up. Let me put my best foot forward. Let me put in everything I can to serve you and you can put all of this effort and energy and attitude towards being better, not worrying about the things that should be my job to worry about. And I think that's the point, Matt, is that it is our job to worry about those things. And I've got experience with athletes that I've worked with over the years who have changed the way that I've done it because my style was always more kind of whimsical and I would crack jokes and try and raise everybody's mood while we were training. And some people really didn't respond well to that. And I had to learn that that was my responsibility to find a way to connect with them without isolating them from the rest of the group. And there's so much credit 
that you deserve for even recognizing that about yourself. But at the same time, maybe an athlete or a client needs to be referred out. If you're not going to be able to connect with that client and it's just never going to happen or it's too much work, it just doesn't feel like it's a good fit. That's another thing that I really respect trainers in this case that will refer a client out and say, hey, you know what? I don't have that personality as much that you need, but I know somebody who does, and I think that this will really help you. And guess what? You're probably going to get a referral from that person now, whereas if you just tried to hold on to them and make it work, even with good intentions, that could be awful for both parties involved. Yeah, I may not be the coach for you is a really important sentence that a lot of coaches, I think, are maybe even too afraid to say. So that was my experience. Matt, you've got to have tons of these examples. Give me one of them. I worry, Jake, that I'm an imposter sometimes. That's all right. I mean, that's a real thing when it comes to people in leadership positions. That's right. And I don't think that I am trying to be somebody I'm not or represent myself as something I'm not. And it's partially, though, in our industry, unfortunately, this is a common thing where, I mean, geez, I, I, I was, I feel like I'm outing everybody, and, but I'm not saying names, but this goes on so much in our industry where I was just talking to a therapist the other day who was talking to me about a strength coach who lied about being a physical therapist. Ooh, that's a big lie. Oh yeah, and I know other trainers who lie about their certifications or their education or saying they have a license. I mean, you know what? It took me four years to get my LMT license going to school at night and sacrifice and put in that time. Don't don't say you're an LMT when you're not. Those kind of things just, ugh, I just, okay, I'm, I'm going down a different rabbit hole, man. So I'll get back on to, I still feel like I'm an imposter sometimes. I think that's in part because there's so much crap, quite honestly, around our industry that I feel like I've got to over deliver constantly just to maybe separate myself from that. And I think that I work so hard at proving that to myself and others that I don't take the time to realize that there's only 24 hours in a day and seven days in a week. And it's okay that I don't know everything. That's what other people are in specialties are for. And all I can do is what I can do, knowing that I've put that focus in and that I am failing for it every day, but in the right way and for the right reasons. So this is something I still struggle with, though, and I don't think I'll ever be really satisfied with what I know or how I'm coaching or these principles that we've talked about today are always going to be, for me, something I'm reaching towards but never completely satisfied with myself with. Constantly evolving, man. And if you listening could take away one thing from this episode that I have said, I would say throw away that fragile ego first. Once you do that, you can let all of this growth potentially come in, and we'd love to hear about it. And if you have any questions, you can always send us an email, pendolaproject at gmail.com, and you can find us on Facebook and Instagram as well. Yeah, man. Thanks for listening. 